see the waves and Makaha is known for the big, you know, big wave that ha had the first surfing international surfing contest started in 1954. So in 1956, she entered that contest. She won the paddling event, but she took second in the surfing event. And one of the judges was Carlos Donier, who had built the surfing club the Club Waikiki in Lima, Peru, uh, down in Miraflores. And he was absolutely taken with the women in the big waves because no women surfed in Lima at that point. That's Vicki Durand describing her mother's arrival to the competitive surf scene in the 1950s. And you're listening to the Social Life Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Josh Peterson, host of This Ocean Life Podcast. Hey, thanks for being here today for another episode. Uh, really stoked to have you and appreciate all the support all the time. If you want some fun stuff to read in between episodes, you can find my blog at thisoceanlife.tv. Sign up for the bi-weekly newsletter packed full of latest episodes, articles, fun stuff, and more. And as always, your support by subscribing to This Ocean Life on your podcast app is greatly appreciated, as is pledging support on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash thisoceanlifepodcast. Now today, Vicki Durand takes us through the colorful life of her mother, Betty, charging waves in the 1950s. From stories she's captured in her recent book, Wave Woman, Vicki tells the story of her mother finding and thriving in the world of surfing, the legendary Waikiki surf scene, the first international surfing competition for women, and much more. Vicki takes us through her own teen years of surfing on Hawaii, the characters, the waves, and her own stories of progressing in the ocean and surfing with her mother. You can find the whole story in Wave Woman, available at wavewomanbook.com and major online book retailers. If you love hearing about what I consider the golden days of surfing, you'll love this book. So hope you're all well and hope you enjoy our time today with Vicki. All right, Vicki. Well, thank you so much for uh, being here on the podcast today. Oh, Josh, thank you for inviting me and being interested in this story. Yeah, for sure. I love I love the old school stories. Um, here in Santa Cruz, I have a um, a neighbor who hit her brother, who I had a podcast with, was like you know one of the early Santa Cruz surfing guys, right around the era that we'll be talking about today. So I just love I get lost in the stories of the good old days, you know. So uh, I can't wait to hear all about your mother, the book, and everything. Uh, so thank you. Yeah, we would we stopped by Santa Cruz on our way to South America in nineteen sixty. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. All right. So, so Vicky, really today, and as we we're just mentioning, like most of the podcasts I do, we'll kind of focus on one person, like the guest. And today we're, it's going to be kind of fun and different because while we will focus on you as the guest here, really, um, there's another character in our the story, which is your mother. And you've right. just, um, you know, completed a really amazing book about her called Wave Woman. And so today, let's start with the book. Let's start with your mom and that cool story. Uh, and then we'll shift over and kind of then dive into you, you know, being part of being a key player in that whole story. Yeah, right. So Wave Woman, The Life and Struggles of a Surfing Pioneer, title of the book, uh, is about my mother. And do you have... 
Do you want to ask me some questions so I don't go uh, running off in a monologue? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, give us kind of the, the ch not chapter by chapter, but kind of the, the you know, she, she, she's not from the ocean. I mean, she started in Salt Lake City, moved out, and then ultimately ended up in Hawaii in the 50s. So kind of give us that kind of tale of how she got to Hawaii and then right. some of the accomplishments, you know, from right. Well, she was the granddaughter of um, – pioneers. Brigham Young had uh, recruited her grandparents into Salt Lake. And um, she first visited the ocean when she was five years old. Her grandparents took her down to Santa Monica. They were uh, a pretty prestigious family in Salt Lake. Uh, so they could afford to travel. And she just always remembered uh, the the sand between her toes and the water seeing the water lap lap up from about age five and she always dreamed of getting back to the ocean um but she basically spent her teenage years in salt lake until her her father was a mining engineer and he had uh, invested in the stock market and then when the crash uh, just before the crash of 1929, um, he had bought on the short, and they want they wanted the cash to back up his investments, and he didn't have it. So they uh, uh, the the people came and took all their furniture. Then they were living right next to the governor of Salt Lake. They were living a pretty high life with three yeah. or four story house with servants and the whole wow. thing and uh, she and her sisters were sent off to their school to board for the rest of the year and because there was no furniture in the house her parents went to Santa Monica and started a new a new life and then right after graduation the girls went down to Santa Monica and she started swimming in the ocean for that summer mm -hmm. of uh, 1929 started entering rough water swims around the piers and winning. She was very competitive, very strong, mm. very athletic, played basketball, ran track, and actually skied before the ski lifts up in Salt Lake where they had oh, cool. a nice step up the mountain and they only had time for about two trips down a day by the time they got up there. But <laughs> anyway, so, um, she became noticed uh, after winning some of these races and being such a strong swimmer and was encouraged to go to uh, the Uplifters Club to train the 36, 1936 Olympics. Well, actually backing up a little bit, she always believed that a woman should be financially independent. And after seeing her family lose everything, she was really bound and determined that that was never going to happen to her. So she uh, enrolled in USC in a brand new profession mm. of dental hygiene and graduated in 1932. And at that same time, then she started training. And by then she'd moved into the LA Athletic Club and she had a coach that believed that she would be the next um, Olympic champion in the 1936 Olympics. So wow, she worked wow. all day uh, in dental hygiene and didn't really, she was supporting her two sisters, 
who uh, weren't going to college and she really didn't have enough food. She would fill up on carrots, which really aren't very filling <laughs> after a while and uh, was training for the 36 Olympics. And, but she had met through her practice, her, her where she worked there with the Hollywood stars came and she'd met some people who uh, encouraged her to take flying lessons. So she also was taking flying lessons. And then after wow. eight hours of her student, getting her student license, she talked some men into letting her go up in one of Gus Briglick's gliders and <laughs> crashed that glider and went from 65 feet in the air into the ground. And it's amazing that she even lived. Wow. But yeah, yeah got a really bad compound fracture. And so that ended the swimming. But um, ah. he was an adventurer who believed in um, trying anything exciting at least once. So she rode horses um, and took up surfing at age 41. But actually her sister, how she got to Hawaii is her sister was married a man who was a superintendent of the leper colony in Kalapapa on the island of Molokai. Yeah, wow. They, she sent me over when I was 12. My aunt and uncle had come to visit us. She, well, she married my father after knowing him for two weeks. They eloped and she was... <laughs> <laughs> She's definitely the new experiences that I'll huh? just go for it. <laughs> go for it. And they lived in Palos Verdes until... Uh, the loom of the Jap uh, the Japanese mm. were was starting to get really scary, and with they weren't able to go down to the beach, which they enjoyed so much. So they moved inland, and sh and she spent about eighteen years inland as a uh, raised chickens and walnuts. But they, my parents, were manufacturing goldsmiths, and the other thing mm. we could do is. She was a great, she had a lot of talent as a sculptress. She could look at an animal or any, an object and carve it in miniature. And wow. it, that was really an amazing thing. So she did all the wax work for my father. But meanwhile, my aunt and uncle had come to visit and they didn't have any children. And they, somehow we bonded and they said, when you're 12, you have to come to Hawaii and spend the summer with us. So when I was 12, mother put me on the plane for the leper colony and I spent the summer there <laughs> with my aunt and uncle. And I fell in love with Hawaii. And when I went back to California at the end of the summer, I just moped and cried and I had no energy. And she said, what's wrong with you? You miss Hawaii, don't you? And I went, yes. So she was also a great mother because she listened to her, you know, by then I was 13 almost. And she said, okay, I think I better go over there and see what I'm missing. So the following oh, wow. summer, she went over and uh, after canoe ride, took up took some surfing lessons. We all took them together and after one ride and she was hooked and she went, this is my new sport. And so every day for the rest of the summer, we went to the beach uh, down near the Royal Hawaiian and, and served. And so she said, uh, 
would you girls want to move over here? And we went, oh, yes. And so she said, okay. <laughs> the day after Christmas of 1954, we'll be on wow. the plane. And so sure enough, we were. And um, left my father back in California, but he came later. So, And that began her surfing career. And she uh, surfed every day. We, we lived uh, out on the Gold Coast right on the ocean we lived in a guest house dad center who had actually trained duke hanamoku in swimming mm. uh we uh stayed at his apartments and so we got to see him and he loaned mother his big long redwood board to start oh. and uh so she actually just surfed every day and became pretty proficient and uh, was on, uh, well, she'd met a man that lived at Makaha Beach and said, you have to come out, see my house and um, see the waves. And Makaha was known for the big, you know, big wave. Mm -hmm. And it had, had the first surfing, international surfing contest started in 1954. So in 1956, she entered that contest. She won the paddling event, but she took second in the surfing event. And one of the judges was Carlos Donier, who had built the surfing club, the Club Waikiki in Lima, Peru. Mm -hmm. Uh, down in Miraflores, and he was absolutely taken with the women in the big waves because no women surfed in Lima at that point. So yeah. they formed a team, and she was part of the team, and um, that was in 1957, and they went down and spent five or six weeks in Lima. Uh, they put them up at this beautiful Grand Hotel Boulevard, and then they went down to the beach every day and, and she became, uh, she was really enamored with the Peruvians and they were enamored with her. And, um, and she actually beat the woman that had beat her at Makaha and Ethel Kukea, who had been surfing since her childhood. She was uh -huh. sister of Lauren Harrison, who was one of the early board mm -hmm makers in California. So mother beat Ethel and came back with this huge trophy. And uh, and when she came back, she said, you know, Vicki, if you can win 1957, and we had surfed together at, at Makaha and Waikiki, and she was like my mother, but also like my sister. She said, you know, if yeah. you can win 57, I think we can get an invite back because they want to meet you and blah, blah. I wasn't that competitive, but I thought, ooh, I'd met some of the Peruvians. And I thought, that's something I really like to do. So I won the Makaha 1957. Nice. I beat the Ethel who had beat her. And um, so in 1960, well, then we were invited back to, because they wanted the women to serve. And our job was to make surfing look fun and feminine, mm -hmm. something that their women would want to do. So we were there also for six weeks as their guests, and they treated wow. us all queens. And it was an amazing experience. And wow. um, yeah, so that's very yeah. cool. So then, like, while your mom was like, 
kind of perfecting and learning surfing and getting really good. Like you were right there with her doing right. the same thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so did you guys ever have any uh, comp- like heats together where you'd surf against each other? No, she wasn't in my heat. And um, uh, the book has a picture of her waxing my board for the finals at oh, McDonough. Wow. And it's really, I have my, my uh, vest on and she's there in her white bathing suit, just waxing my board like crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. Now we never really surfed against each other, but we would joke about who would catch the biggest wave. And she'd tell me I caught this 12 foot wave. And I said, are you sure it was really 12 feet? And so we always had that kind of a, a joke, but it was just the best ever, like growing, growing up with her surfing. And we had an amazing group of friends both in Peru and here in Hawaii. And we, uh, in 1957, she told me, she said, you know, Vicki, you've got to keep notes about our mm. doing and the people we're oh, with wow. and our thoughts. And she said, because surfing is going to be really big and you're going to want to oh. write about it someday. And so, you know, being, a teenager i said no i'm too busy living yeah. this. you do you take the notes so neither one of us took the notes so writing the book um, <laughs> i had to dig back into the you know my brain to remember yeah fired up it. yeah but we what was so amazing about it we didn't even realize at the time what a great period it was there was mm. hardly anybody surfing and it was the beginning of the renaissance yeah. of sur- of the surfing movement as mm-hmm. we know it today there were like yeah. 2000 people surfing on on Oahu Oahu Makaha was never crowded you know there were yeah. waves for everybody uh the men were there was no competition between men and women like she mm-hmm. didn't have you know the men were our friends and um you know, I grew up with Peter Cole and Buzzy Trent was like a mentor mm-hmm. and Peter Cole saved my life at Makaha and Fred Van Dyke and all, oh, wow. all the pioneers. We were, we were, you know, there surfing with them. And um, she actually bought the lot that day that she first went to Makaha because there was a sign on the lot next door that Jimmy Wong said, come on, Betty, I want to show you something. And she took one look at this beautiful valley. There are like mountains right above the valley that are 4,000 feet. And then the cove, the white sandy cove of Makaha, the turquoise water, the waves breaking on the point. And she just said, this has to be mine. And she just pulled the sign right out of the ground. (laughs) Do you remember how much it was priced at? Yeah. Like a thousand bucks or something crazy? It was thirteen thousand dollars for thirteen thousand wow. square feet. But that was the time in Hawaii when most of the land was lease, mm. and so that was fee simple land out on on the west side. And it's through the years, it's always been less expensive. And yeah. now, but it was a small agricultural community of Japanese farmers and very different from today. Little, uh, many, mostly Quonset huts left over from the war. Oh, cool. Yeah, great. Yeah. So you mentioned kind of like. So she bought the lot. 
And then for the next two or three years, we would go out every chance we could get when the North Swell was running and we camped out and then our friends would come and we'd make big bonfires and drink beer and tell stories (laughs) and sleep out under the stars. Wow. Wow. So describe like the, 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 the female scene back then. I mean, you, you got you and your mom and some others, but I mean, how, how big would you say was your crew of other, you know, women in the water at that time that you hung out? Probably with? about two dozen total, yeah. a dozen maybe, uh, and maybe a half a dozen that came to Makaha mm. yeah. or less. They would come for the contests, but they didn't come out there too regularly. So this was 1957, 58, 59, and uh, right during those years. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned Makaha can be a big thumping wave. And right. it is interesting looking back at all the early contests. That was the big wave spot. You know, then right, things like right. Waimea and Pipe and all that stuff was in the future. But that was right. the spot. And so... You kind of, I mean, you were, you, you cut your teeth there. I mean, talk oh. about that as like, do you remember like your first session at like legit yes. big yes. Makaha? What was that like? Yes. Well, it was only about probably four or five feet, but uh, yes, I remember just sitting in the channel. I was too afraid to go in yeah. to the break and I try to catch these big lumps of water that I was never going to catch because I was too far into the channel, you know, and mother was sitting in the, and on the reef part and the break, she said, come on over here. You, you've got to come in here and try a wave. And yeah. it took a while before I had enough courage to, to do that because I started surfing at um, canoes and then moved over mm-hmm. to uh, Queens surf. And even then there were only like, I don't know, eight or nine people surfing at Queens. I drove by oh, there man. yesterday and there were like 50 people, I think, sitting wow. there at Queens waiting for yeah. waves. I just went, oh, man. And wow, wow. the way gets, God's gotten pretty crowded too. So, yeah, for sure. So and best. so, we had, I'm sorry? We had the oh. best. Yeah, I would I would agree with you a thousand percent on that one. Yeah, yeah, those days are gone long gone, unfortunately. It was interesting looking at like surf cams, like right in the peak of all the COVID quarantine stuff, and just looking at surf cams kind of in different areas. And one of those was Waikiki. Because usually you look at a surf cam and Waikiki is like a bunch of ants of people in the water and on the beach, and to see it with like, you know, like you said, eight people in the water and nobody on the beach. I was thinking and speaking to my wife who was out there quite a bit, like this must be what it was like in the fifties back in the day, you know, yeah. I mean, you guys definitely had it, had it good. Yeah. Well, there aren't a lot of people on the streets of Waikiki today. Yeah. A lot of the stores are closed. We just drove through there yesterday, but there are a lot of people in the water and there's, um, because you you know you can go to the water and a lot of people are out of work, so the surfing yeah. spots right. are crowded. Yeah. But now they've just done a new lockdown as of midnight tonight. You can only oh. go to the, only go to the beach and go in the water. You can't sit around on the sand. Yeah, yeah, yep. we had we've gone back into lockdown. Yeah, we had know. that in Santa Cruz. I'm thinking it'll happen here again as well. Um, but you mentioned being out of Makaha, and I, I can't remember the name of the, of the man you mentioned, but somebody saved you at some point. You had a little trouble out there. Yeah. So so tell us that story, if you would, like uh, okay. when you had to have a, get a little help. 
Okay. Well, like in those days, they were our they were our heroes. You know, they are all about ten years older than me. And um, Buzzy Trent was well, the biggest wave he could ever imagine was like thirty. 30 feet out of kind of point. And he was, uh, he helped me a lot in surfing um, with how to, you know, what to do in the bigger waves. And so I'd gone out to Makaha and it was about 10 to 12. And um, I think it was after school or I cut school or something. Anyway, it was out there where I shouldn't have been. And Buzzy and Peter, I don't know who else was out there, but a big set was coming and I was trying to paddle out and, you know, it was before leashes. So Buzzy like started screaming, get rid of your board, get rid of your board. Cause he didn't think I could push through or I can't, I don't know, but he, he panicked and then he panicked me. So I did get yeah. rid of my board. And then these big sets came through and I had nothing to hang on to. And then after a couple of them, you know, the foam's pretty, yeah. pretty thick and I just was having trouble keeping my head above and luckily about that time Peter was came by and I got on his board and he yeah. saved me I think I would have drowned <laughs> <laughs> oh man so do you remember when Leisha's came on the scene no I think I I don't because I yeah we served very vigorously and for about seven years. And then mother had to go back to work. My mother had left, oh. actually she uh, left my father uh, during my senior year and, and went out to Makaha and lived in a Quonset hut on the neighbor's property and put up a house. And um, so she, when we came back from Lima, she had to go back to work. And mm. so that, and I went, back to college and then soon got married and had girls and moved back to California. And, and then I ended up living in Santa Barbara for a while. I surfed down at Hammonds a little bit, but, and then mm -hmm. later at Laguna and went to San Onofre, but not very much. I got pretty busy. I ended up yeah. as a little mother. So I was supporting two girls and yeah, it was pretty full time in the clothing business. Oh, yeah. Got it. Yeah, oh, for and sure. All the family stuff, the, definitely. The summer was the time to get, you know, make the money. Mm -hmm. So your mom lived a super long life, which is awesome. Good genes for you. Uh, yeah. When did she kind of hang up surfing too? I mean, was she still, I'm guessing she was still active in her later years, but kind of did she also, both you guys sort of hung up surfing at around the same time? Well, she ended up um, working, going back into dental hygiene, and she was working for a while until some friends came and said, you have to meet this man, Charlie Winstead, who's building a boat, and you just have to meet him. He's finishing the boat, and then he's going to a 65-foot boat that he's made, and he's going to go deep sea fishing. So she went with her friend down to meet Charlie, and she loved to work with her hands. So she said, I'll help mm. you with finishing jobs. So long story short, she ended up as a fisherwoman. They uh, married um, and both retired out to Makaha. And when they no longer uh, went out on the big boat, they sold that and they got bought a 26 foot trailer, trailerable boat and they went mm -hmm. 
out fishing. So she went from a surfer, well, to a worker, and then to a fisherwoman, and yeah. they had quite a life um, with fishing. And um, they almost sank out in the ocean on a friend's big yacht, going from Maui up to uh, <laughs> Vancouver. That's all in the book. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so. Yeah, and then, yeah, she lived to be 98 and a half. She wanted to oh, live wow. to be 100, <laughs> but a blood pathogen, somehow she got that, and and she had had a heart valve replacement at 90, which not yeah. doctors won't do that on 90-year-old yeah. people, but she was very strong and very with it mentally, and she she did get end up getting macular degeneration and yep. and i just thought this is the worst thing that can ever happen to such a creative oh. woman who was always working with her hands and she said no i would much rather <clears throat> excuse me lose my eyesight than my hearing yep. because i could still mm. hear the ocean and she was fascinated with the sound of the water as it retreated back out in off the shore, you know, as far as it would come yeah. in. And she was fascinated with that and she loved music. And she started writing haiku uh, poem cool. uh, about her memories and about her thoughts and philosophy and different different things. And yeah. that was partly how the book, um, you know, that led to my writing the book because she had put her poems into a book that she'd Xeroxed and it was a short introduction about her life and she was selling it to friends and she won an essay contest when she was 97. And so we went to present at no <laughs> leadership conference and she sold the book. <laughs> and, and that was one of the reasons I just thought there has to be a better book. And so that was one of my motives. Yeah, I right. just thought she had such an amazing story and her philosophy of life was um, so beautiful that it's really, it could be an inspiration for men and women. Yeah. And that's that it's never too late to follow a dream. And yeah. just there, you don't let anything stop you. You just, you know, get out there and do it. Like uh, she got tired of dental hygiene and she actually uh, started doing uh, lab work, dental lab work. And she didn't know that much about it, but she just said, I'm going to open a dental lab and I'm going to learn about this. And yeah. she did it. And and that was the philosophy of her life with so many different um, avenues that she took to create and build and make. And so, and she left people. Yeah. And she never... Oh. She always saw the good in everybody. She wanted uh, everybody to be their best self, and people were drawn to her like magnets. <laughs> she was like a magnet for people. <laughs> oh, I bet. You write all about that in the book, and there yeah. are uh, people have uh, remembered her in high school. All my high school friends wanted her for their mother because we were. Oh, yeah. and surfing and she was like one of the game. Right. I bet it was cool for you to kind of, as you mentioned, you, you, you didn't have all this like notes and 
you know, um, a diary or a journal from when you were a kid with your mom. So you had to sit down and really dig back into your memory. You had to talk to other people, your friends, her friends, the community. So yeah, did you yeah. uncover some kind of cool, cool stories about well, her that you cool. didn't know, or maybe well, I forgot? Yeah. The coolest thing, uh, after writing for a year and a half, and I just thought, why didn't I ask her? You know, why did why didn't I yeah. ask more questions? Well, I found her autobiography out of Makaha in a box of her memorabilia oh, wow. and her autobiography that she had written at age 24. Um, and so that was 24 pages of handwritten. Uh, cool. you know her about her life and some of her thoughts and and so that that really uh filled oh, in cool. some gaps and then different poems that she mm -hmm. had either written or had collected and kept for 80 years maybe 78 wow, yeah. years were um and then i found a lot of the pictures um so that helped too. And then I've had them scanned and uh, a lot of them were those little view master where you look in and you go click, click. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> another batch off to North Carolina to be scanned. And um, so I'm excited about that, but yeah, it was quite, quite a process. And um, I, I, I really wished I'd asked more questions because yeah. of how she felt when, my father did certain things and when she yeah. got into certain predicaments and, but right. I found a few letters and some things and the autobiography yeah. was very interesting because even after she eloped with my father, she wrote that she, oh, she visualized that she would never marry. <laughs> <laughs> and she wanted, to be she wanted to be a dentist. So she did go back to school for that, but she, couldn't get through organic chemistry and didn't know to get tutors or mentors or yeah. But she was so good with her hands and her personality. She would have made a great dentist. Oh yeah. sounds like it. Anything she touched is just like, yeah. uh, turns to gold, you know? So then how long did it take you end to end to, to write the book? About four to five years, four and a yeah. half years. Um, yeah, it was, and, and I'm, really not a storyteller writer. I was um, I was a clothing and textiles major and, and mm -hmm. adult, minor in adult ed. And and then I taught high school out of Waianae at a title, um, title one school. And so it was really, I went, I had three editors and finally my last editor taught me how to turn my mother into a character and how to write wow. scenes and just really was an amazing, amazing help um, to me. And it was, it was a long process. I killed a lot of food. <laughs> <laughs> you were doing over and over and over edition of this to make oh, it wow. really what I wanted to, to have it as and, yeah. and so you know but it was a story that i felt that i had to tell in the best possible way and uh and now it's really so rewarding to, mm -hmm. to hear that people really like it and love it and 
it's inspirational and it's uh, Ocean Magazine out of San Diego did a really uh, nice full story uh, in June, July issue. And I've just had that translated into Japanese and we're hoping to pick up a Japanese publisher and I would love to get it uh, translated into some other languages down the road and yeah. uh, maybe a movie, a, f a full feature movie. I'm talking yeah. to people about that. So that's exciting. Sounds like a, yeah, that's super exciting. Yeah. I mean, I love the whole premise. Like I have, I have daughters who are in their teens and they love the ocean and I'm, I'm a huge gigantic fan. That's why I have a lot of women on the podcast. I, just, I think that this positive female role models in the ocean um, you know, back in your day were relatively scarce. There wasn't a lot of women in the water and you're very forced yeah. to have had a mother who was one of those, you know, and yeah. now there's a lot more women doing all kinds of stuff from sailing right. around the world to surfing, to spearfishing. I mean, you name it. It's, it's right. awesome. So I, I love just the premise and I just love like this powerful feminine figure, um, who is, can be inspirational to men or women, you know? So I, I actually ordered it on Amazon today. So I'm going to read oh, it. To my kids. Okay. <laughs> You've read yeah. it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and the ocean is so healing, you know. I still, uh, I of course, I don't surf anymore. I would like to try. I think I could probably catch some waves boogie boarding. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, for sure, swimming. We're going down later today uh, to go swimming in the ocean. So it's very healing, and I think surfing is such a great sport because it makes you so strong you know when you uh, i've got yeah. uh, my office is sort of in the woods so i have little bugs flying past me <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it just makes you so strong and i attribute that to um you know having just living a healthy life and, yeah. and being able to lift things and move things around and and then the physical strength, I think, leads to some mental strength. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I just feel really blessed to have had had that life grown up. Yeah. Oh, man. And now, and so, and now I'm marketing the book. So <laughs> unfortunately, the COVID has really messed me up. But for book tours and all of oh, that. Oh, yeah. I bet. I bet. Especially in your area, I can imagine just like where the book is based in the town you live in, in that whole area, I can see so many opportunities for you to get out and, and about and share it with people and which you can't because of, like you said, the COVID thing. Um, so where can folks who are listening, like fine, I know it's on Amazon. Like, are you going to turn it into like a, um, like an audio book too? Any plans yeah. around that? Yes. Yeah. I'm hoping to do cool. an audio book in a couple more months. Uh, one thing I would love to have everybody go to the way to the website. It's wavewomenbook.com. You can buy the book there as well, but it has a lot of uh, videos of my mother and uh, re going over talking about the haiku. And I was able to capture these videos of uh, of her in later life, and they're they're all on the web the website oh, and cool. some music and some you know makaha jive stuff and nice. so another and uh barnes and noble are carrying the book here a different barnes and noble mm -hmm. um yeah i had a whole book tour uh, scheduled for july in california starting down south and going from brentwood to la jolla and do the mm -hmm. surf museums and then 
I was going to do Northern California in, in the fall, but it's all going to have to yeah. put off and pause. Yeah. Yeah. So. Good. Well, in the, sh- in the show notes of the podcast, I'll put links to all that stuff for sure. And uh, for okay. folks listening, check it out. Wave woman, the book. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, looking, podcast, I'm really looking forward. The podcasts are, are on the, on the website too. All the, all the press. Oh, so you'll go on there. Nice. Cool. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. We'll go on there together. Um, so did you, again, and one final, maybe probably more questions, but like, as you're doing all this research and digging stuff up as you're doing the book, like, did you also, while stories, you probably that, Oh, I remember that you'd forgotten or you heard a new story, but did you find any like footage or pictures of yourself from that time that you hadn't seen before? That was kind of fun uh, for you. Well, I'd seen them through the years, but yeah, revisiting them. And yeah. um, unfortunately, we don't have any really um, great pictures of us surfing together. We have a couple mm. of them, but the waves aren't really that that great. But yeah. um, more of mother surfing, too. And um, yeah, when... Yeah, it it is fun to go back. Like a newspaper, there's a newspaper uh, picture of me and Makaha uh, during the contest, and I'm hoping that it, uh, the surfing museum has the original. I'm gonna write to Barry, and because they have all the uh, footage from Clarence Maki, who was the main surf photographer. Then Bud Brown was out there also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he was out there, we were mostly in town. I, you know, in, in school, so we didn't. We're not yeah. really in his photos, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Well, Vicky, I appreciate you sharing uh, these stories of yourself and your mother, and for taking time to to share today and about the book. And so, I'll put links in the show notes and uh, wish you the best with the tour, the book, and. Boy, I tell you, it'd be pretty sweet if you have a movie that comes out of it, too. I know. <laughs> it sounds like a great one. Wouldn't that be the best? Uh, yeah, yeah, we hope to get to Santa Cruz, you know, when yeah. one of these days, when things Absolutely. Get back, if you, they ever do get back to normal. <laughs> I know. Fingers crossed. Yeah. But yeah, if you get a book tour and you're up this way, reach out. I'd love to have, grab coffee. And uh, we have a cool surfer museum here. That's probably I know. I saw that. Is, yeah. Is it, was it open before the COVID? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Kind of a weekend thing. Yeah. So it's probably closed now. It's yeah. that steamer lane, which is actually where I surf. I should know. Um, yeah. It's been closed for a bit. Um, like everything, but uh, fingers crossed that normal life returns and then uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get back to it all. Yeah. Thank you, Josh, for sharing the story and being interested and letting me share it. It's fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. I'm glad you had fun. And thank you so much, Vicki. And uh, right. we'll talk to you soon. Good. All right. Aloha. Aloha. Take care. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another podcast episode. Can't do it without you. If you like what you heard, would really appreciate you sharing the podcast with people you know who might enjoy the stories that we hear and the guests we have on. And of course, even better, reduce plastic, do something good for the ocean and for each other. Thanks again. We'll catch you on the next episode.